The book of Galatians, I'm going to read here from chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. The book of Galatians. Last week we took a look at the usage of the word law, both in the Old Testament and in the New, and tried to give it some categories of thought that would be helpful for us when we run across the word law in our New Testament. Tonight I want to talk about a possible framework that I think may help us really understand a believer's relationship to the law and how we are to use it. And then, Lord willing, a couple of weeks from now, I want to spend a little time and talk about the law of Christ. And so believers are not under the law, but we are under the law to who? To Jesus Christ. So let's begin reading Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10. For as many are as uh, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident <clears throat> for The righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not a faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now we've already seen last week that there are at least eight differing categories of the usage of the word law in the Scripture. Out of those eight, two of them we could refer as having the strictest meaning of the law in reference to that Jewish nation. We could actually refer to this as the written law. And that would be the categories of the Ten Commandments or the whole Mosaic law covenant. Another two of the eight refer to the law in context of that Jewish nation. When we talk about the Pentateuch, we're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is referred to in our New Testament by our Lord Himself as the law. Or, if we're talking about all of Scripture, Paul actually says, for the law says... And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. So the law can refer to, I'll just word it this way, the whole Old Testament. The law could refer to the Pentateuch, that is the first five books of the Bible. The law could refer to the Mosaic law covenant proper, or it could just refer to the Ten White, the Ten Commandments. And so all of those things are what we would consider written law given to what nation? Israel. Given to Israel or to the Jew. Then out of the eight categories that we took a look at, three of the eight, law could be used in the sense that all men are exposed to through this type of law. There is the law of conscience. Conscience bearing witness to the work of the law in humans' hearts. We call that the internal law. It could refer to a governing principle. Paul says, I find then a law that when I will to do good, what's there? Evil is there. That's a law. It always occurs this way in a human soul. 
Then there is what is called natural law. We took a look at that in the book of Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. So that takes care of seven of the eight categories, but there is an eighth, and that is called the law of Christ. And that is a law that refers to both Jew and Gentile, specifically believing Jews and Gentiles are under the law of Christ. We're not under the law, we're under grace. What does that grace look like? It is the law of Christ himself. And again, Lord willing, I'm going to take a look at that here in two weeks to help us understand that law. Now, I also mentioned last week that there are two extremes that perhaps if we were looking at paper and the amount of ink that has been spilled over controversial topics in the church, probably the number one issue would be that of Arminianism versus Calvinism, but perhaps the second would be a believer's relationship to the law. <clears throat> when, how does the law relate to believers? And so we took a look at both of those extremes, <clears throat> and I got a quotation that would represent both of those extremes. So on one side, you have what we would call antinomian. <laughs> Nomos is law, anti is against the law. So this would be someone that says, no, I'm free from the law completely. No law at all. And I heard a man say down at this seminar that these lectures that I went to, he quoted this, and I almost hesitate to quote it to you because this will probably be the only thing you remember. But he says, free from the law... Oh, happy condition, I can sin with Jesus' permission. That's kind of down here, right? Okay, don't quote to me the law, because unless there's something explicit, then I get to do it. I get to do everything, because I'm not under the law, I'm I'm under grace. And of course, they forget that Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Answer, God forbid. The King James translation says. But that's, that's one side, and that is a side that you hear a lot today. They don't actually quote that little jingle, but they quote something along those lines. Then you have the other side, or the other extreme. And last month I received a publication, and it was entitled, well I won't tell you what the title was, but... It was written by a believing man who would be on this side of the scale. And he was writing concerning the law, and this is what he says. And I'm going to quote what he says. He says, As Christians, we are justified by Christ's atoning death on the cross. Our good works have no place whatever in our justification. What do you think about that? Well, that's spot on, isn't it? He continues, But the believer who is now justified has it as his duty to keep the Ten Commandments. We, as God's people, as God's believing people, are not saved by the moral law, But when we are saved by grace, it is our duty carefully to keep the moral law. The measure in which the believer observes God's moral law is the measure in which, as believers in Christ, we shall be rewarded in heaven eternally. Now, I I don't think that that man is, is lost. I don't think he is a false prophet. I think he is a believer. In fact, I profited from many of his articles. But that is the first time I have ever heard or seen written that we're going to be rewarded at the Bema seat of Jesus Christ with how carefully we have followed the moral law. And what he means by moral law is the ten what? Ten commandments. So don't answer out loud, but I could ask you, how well are you doing on that? Keeping 
the Ten Commandments in the full sense in which they have been given. I would dare say that everyone in this room has failed because one of the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath day. What day was that? That was Saturday. How, How are you doing on that one? Well, what they do, this group of people, what they do is say, well, the Sabbath day has been replaced by the Lord's day. So instead of keeping the Sabbath, we're to keep the Lord's day. And of course, then that begs the question, how much of the Sabbath requirements convey over into the Lord's day? And you get into all this argument and debate back and forth. And it's not my intent to enter into that debate. My point is, you see the two extremes. One side, who cares what that law says? The other side, you must consider it, quote, your duty to obey that moral law. I do think that those are two extremes. And folks, I made mention last week, let's turn to the book of James chapter 2. I made mention last week that The way I see the New Testament, and of course, if I was to bring this man in here, he'd probably have a healthy debate with me on these things. But you search the Scripture as they are given, but the book of James specifically mentions that the law is to be taken as a unit or as a unity. It's not to be broken up into moral, ceremonial, civil, Civil's not there, ceremonial's not there, all that's been fulfilled in Christ, but the moral aspects of it is still there. And you'll notice here in James chapter 2, James, referring to these people who were exalting the rich by giving them the better places of seating in the congregation, he states in verse 8 of James 2, If, however you are fulfilling the royal law or the law of the king. According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know about your Bible, but that's capitalized in my Bible indicating it's a quotation from the law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now note verse 10. For whoever keeps the what? Whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of how much? All of it. In other words, folks, it's not that, okay, here's a law and it's independent, and here's a law and it's independent, and here's a law, it's independent. It's all one law because it's all given by one lawgiver of whom, if you break it, you are transgressing against. It's not so much I broke a law, it's I transgressed against God who gave that law. And so he says, verse 11, James 2, For he who said, do not commit adultery, did he say that? Said, do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of of the law. Not just that commandment, but of the law as a whole. James is viewing that law as a unity. And so we come down to, all right, how then are we to understand our New Testament and how it uses the word law? And I again mentioned a book by um, Brian Rossner. And aspects of that book, I haven't read the whole book, I've skimmed portions of it, but what I do appreciate is how he has frameworked the understanding of the law. And as I mentioned last Lord's Day, it really resonates with the way I look at the New Testament and how Paul uses it. 
So I want to give you a framework to help you and help me <clears throat> understand our relationship to law, whether that is written law or the work of the law written in our hearts. And it's very simple. It has three aspects. Now I'll give you the aspects. Number one, <clears throat> believers are not under the law. Would you agree with that? Okay, that's, that's pretty emphatic even before we look at the passages. So number one, <clears throat> believers are not under the law. Secondly, believers are under the law of Christ. And I'm not going to spend any detail with that tonight because we're going to look at it in a couple of weeks. And then thirdly, <clears throat> how does the New Testament use the law? Does the New Testament use the law? Well, we just read one, right? <clears throat> How does the New Testament use that law? And I'll give you the two ways that Brian Rossner brings out that I think are very instructive and helpful when we get there. So let's look at that first category. We are not under the law. I think that it would be safe to say <clears throat> that Paul not only rejects the law as a covenant for New Testament believers, he severely rejects it. And this is amazing because Paul is what? Paul's a Jew. And he's believing on Jesus Christ as Messiah. In fact, he makes that diametrically opposed statement. If we both go back to Galatians and look at Galatians chapter 2, passages that we read last week, verse 15, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, Galatians 2 verse 16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. And I, I'm going to suggest here that he's really saying not justified by the works of law, period. But how are we justified? Through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that, we are believing in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by what? Faith in Christ, not justified by the works of law. Why? Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be what? Justified. That is strong language. Not only will no Jew be justified by the law, but no Gentile would be justified by law either. Whether that law is written, as in the Mosaic Law Covenant, or whether that is the work of the law that is written in every man's heart. So Paul severely rejects the law as a covenant for New Testament believers. If you turn to Philippians chapter 3, we'll again see just this contrast. And I, I love this passage here because I think it makes it very definitive for us. <clears throat> In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things <clears throat> and count them but rubbish so that I may win Christ and be found in Him, now note verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own derived from law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of what? Faith. So Paul, Paul is just dogmatically rejecting the law as any believer being under it in any shape, fashion, or form. We go over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3. 
And we don't have time really to go through the whole book and to show the countless numbers of times that Paul <clears throat> rejects this. Begin reading in chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, <clears throat> so let me ask you this, is the law speaking? It is speaking. Whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. So folks, what the law is saying is, you're a lawbreaker. You have no excuses. If you're a Jew and you have the written law, no excuses. Your mouth is what? Closed. You're guilty. And if you are a Gentile and the work of the law in your heart that is being bore witness by your conscience, you're guilty. The whole world becomes what? Guilty before God. That is what the law is saying. He goes on, verse 20. Why is this so? Because by the works of the law, <clears throat> no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes not holiness. Folks, what is the law saying? The law is saying you're guilty. Well, if I feel my guilt, that means I'm a lawbreaker, right? And folks, the only way that I could come to know that I'm a lawbreaker is through the knowledge of sin. Everybody see that? And folks, that is what a lost person has to awaken himself to. He has to see, he or she has to see in their heart that there is this evil that is inside of them. That they're not good people. In other words, it doesn't do any good to say, well, I've never murdered anybody. Well, have you ever called anybody, you fool? You ever called anybody a moron? Well, that's breaking the law. Folks, we're all guilty. I don't know if you've ever done this. You ever gone up and someone says, well, I think I'm a pretty good person. And the old so winning program says, well, have you ever told a lie? Well, I had one person tell me they never told a lie before and I just said, you just lied. <laughs> Folks, how many people bear false witness? Every human being on the face of this earth. And then you took them over and said, well, all liars, you took them over to Revelation, all liars should have their part in the lake of fire that burns, uh, the, <clears throat> the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And they're in their heart, they're like, well, I'm not quite that bad. I mean, I, I've told a few, but, you know, not like this person over here. And you kind of hear remnants of Adam, right? Blaming other people, setting other people as your standard. But folks, the standard is you break it one time, you're a lawbreaker. And when a person comes to really understand that, <clears throat> they come to understand it through the law. The law says, here's God's requirements. You've broken those requirements. Now I know I'm a what? Folks, I know I'm a sinner not just because I read it in my Bible. I know that I am a sinful person. And Paul goes on and says in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, but now, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now note this, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Did you see that? In other words, the law and the prophets, the law was saying something, you're sinful. 
But it also witnessed that there was a righteousness that could come from God. You had to have a righteousness from God. You could not earn it yourself. A righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe there is no distinction because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so Paul goes on in this and says, all right, verse 27, where then is boasting? Folks, can any human being boast before God? No. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. What kind of law? Works? No. Here's the only thing we can boast is that we have received the righteousness of God through the law of faith. Faith. Believing the promises that God Himself has given. He says, how can we say that? Romans 3 verse 28. Because we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Verse 31, do we then nullify the law through faith? No. On the contrary, we establish the law. How do we establish the law? Because, folks, we establish the law when the intent of the law is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing in the human heart. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That is one of its intents. And when I feel that I am a sinner and I know that and I'm jumping ahead of myself, the law is also our tutor to take us where? To Christ. Okay? And when the law shows me I'm a sinner and then the law causes me to cry out, Oh God, I need You. I need Your righteousness. I need a Savior. It's taking me right there to Christ for me to receive the righteousness of God by faith in Christ. That's how I establish the law. So then he goes on in chapter 4, and he begins, well, what do we we say about Abraham? Let's, Let's talk about the Old Testament. What do we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham were justified by works... He has something to boast about. But not before God. But what does the Scripture say? Abraham what? Believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor or by grace, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, verse 5, but believes in him who justifies thee, what? Folks, do you realize he just called Abraham ungodly? Was Abraham justified by faith? Then Abraham was ungodly. And Abraham had to come to the place where he believed in that promise as God gave it to him. Verse 6, what about David? Look at what David says. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds, did you see that? have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So when was Abraham? He was before the Mosaic Law. When was David? During the Mosaic Law, right? Well, guess what? What about us? Well, we can be justified the exact same way. So folks, what you see here is this. Paul is dogmatically saying that the righteousness of God comes to a human being on any form of the law, whether it's capital L or little l. 
But the righteousness of God comes through faith. Believing, fully persuaded that what God has said is so. And we know that the content of our saving faith is the Messiah. The gospel of Jesus Christ Himself. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We now are looking back to that. Those Old Testament saints were looking what? Forward to that. So folks, it's very clearly evident that we are not under the law. Look at Romans 6 again. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin shall live in it? We are freed from the law. We are freed from sin to walk in newness of life. He says it again in Romans 6 verse 15. What then? Shall we sin? Because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. So folks, here's the point. Paul is severely rejecting any aspect that a believer is under that Mosaic law as a covenant, isn't he? Regardless. We're not under law. You agree with that? We're under what? We're under grace. And we know that that grace is mediated under the law of Christ. And folks, if you think about your New Testament, there is no indication in the New Testament of phrases like this. You need to walk after the law. Can you think of that anywhere in your New Testament? Paul says, walk according to the law. Or walk after the law. You won't find that anywhere in your New Testament. (laughs) Nowhere. The law itself brings to us the revelation of God and human sinfulness. The law curses, it condemns, it enslaves, and it brings wrath. Cursed, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that the law requires. The law shows us we're sinful, it reveals our sinfulness, and then points us to Jesus Christ. Basically, it brings us to this point. I need a Savior. Now, is the problem the law? No, that's what people say today. They say, well, if you weren't so strict on me when I was growing up, then I wouldn't be as bad as I am today. They're blaming law. Whether it's God's law or your law, they're still blaming law. Folks, the law is holy. And it is good. And Paul would write in Romans 7, if there was a law that could save us, then righteousness could come by the law. Where's the problem? It's me. (laughs) In other words, it's humanity. That's where the problem is. It's not God, and it's not the fact that He's given us laws, whether it's mosaic or whatever. No, the problem's with me. There's something in me, and folks, even as a believer, you feel this, right? There's something in me that when someone comes up to me and says, you're wrong, How do you feel about that? Well, here's what you should do. You should say, thank you so much for letting me know that. But folks, what do you feel in your soul? Tell me, what do you feel in your soul? You just feel a resentment? How dare you? You feel like you need to defend yourself? And your mouth's not closed, it's open. (laughs) 
You could be yelling, you could be screaming, you could be whatever. Folks, we don't like that. And that feeling, it's called emotions, emotions in our soul. Those motions in our soul are supposed to tell us something. Not that that other person's a problem, but that I have a what? I have a problem. And of course, Paul would say that he recognized that. He was trying to keep the law, and as far as keeping the law was concerned, he was blameless. But there was this one little law, thou shalt not covet. And when Paul realized that the harder he tried to do that, the worse he, the worse he coveted, he began to realize there's no way. There's no way. So folks, very simply, when we talk about that first framework, I think the New Testament is very definitive about this. That a believer is not under the what? No. We're not under the law. In fact, if you read Romans 7, Romans 7 is the most condensed passage that talks about the law, and the word law is used in that chapter more than any other chapter in your New Testament. And in that chapter, basically it says this, remember the law, when I will to do good, evil is present with me. That when the law comes and I say to myself, I'm going to keep that law, my sinful nature says, no, you're not. No, you're not. And it's deceitful. It can go and hide itself. And you can think that you're keeping that law and then the law will say to you and that sinful nature will say to you, man, you're a really good person. <laughs> you're, really, you're really obeying this. I mean, you're probably more righteous than that other person across the room. And you're like, yeah, you know, doing pretty good. Well, that's sin, right? Or the law could <clears throat> deceive you to break it. And then when you break it, what does the law do? Paul says, here, here's this thing that you want to do, the motions, here's a desire. You go and do the desire and then the law condemns you. <laughs> that law, that sinful nature tries to deceive you into doing it, say, ah, nothing's going to happen. If you do this, then when you break that law, it just smites you. And it says, you're a good for nothing, rotten sinner. We're a mess. And so Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? I know more laws. No, I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. See, there's the gospel. And so we are not under the law. Second framework. <clears throat> we are under the law of Christ. And again, I'll take this up in two weeks. Third framework, <clears throat> all right? If we're not under the law, why does Paul use the law? <laughs> I mean, he's trying to justify that those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel, and he quotes the law. You shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the corn. And then he says this, you know, old foolish man, God didn't write this down for the ox. Now, I love what Martin Luther said about that. He said, ox can't read. He, he didn't write it down for the ox. He wrote it down for a who? For us. What's he saying? Well, if the ox is treading out the corn, he ought to live by the, he ought to live by the corn. If you preach the gospel, you ought to live of the gospel. Paul uses that. Or, I mentioned the other day, Ephesians 6 1. Let's all say it together. We, this is the only passage you probably know in the whole Bible. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother. Where do you get that from? He got it from the law. Why, why, how's he using it? He just said we're not under the law, and yet he's, he's using the law. Seems kind of paradoxical, doesn't it? 
How does the New Testament then use the law? <clears throat> I think, and I agree with Ryan Rossner on this, that he, it's used in two senses. One, it is prophetically used. What do I mean by that? Well, we won't turn to it for lack of time, but Luke chapter 24 and verse 27, Jesus said that He taught them the things concerning Himself out of the law and the prophets. Did you you hear what He said? He taught the things concerning who? Himself out of the, the law and the prophets. So is the law prophetic? It is prophetic in that sense. It is speaking of the need of a Savior. And Moses himself talked about this. So it is prophetic. And then it is not only prophetic in reference to Jesus Christ, it is prophetic, and we've already looked at this, Romans chapter 4, in pointing to the righteousness of Jesus Christ as our righteousness. The law is our tutor to take us to Christ so that we might receive the righteousness of God through Christ. The law is used in that way. And I don't think anybody really has any um, objections to that aspect. So how does the New Testament use the law? It uses it prophetically. But there's another category that I think the framework is, helps us a lot. And that is the law is used in the New Testament as a source of wisdom. As a source of wisdom. And I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> so as we're turning, let's just back up. Am I as a believer under the law? No, I'm not under the law. I am under the law of Christ, but we'll talk about that later. All right. If I'm not under the law, and yet Paul uses the law, how is the law used in the New Testament? Well, it's used prophetically. And it is also used as a sort of wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's speaking to the Corinthian church. Now, folks, the Corinthian church would have been primarily made up of Jew or Gentile? Gentile believers. There were Jewish believers there, but Gentile believers. Now, look at what he says, 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, What's he referring to? Exodus. Exodus. Is that part of the law? Yes, the Pentateuch. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock with all of them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless... With most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now note verse 6. These things happened as... What? Examples. Everybody see that word? In other words, folks, he's going to go through and he's going to quote several things from the law. He's going to talk in verse 7, don't be an idolater. How's he going to support it? With wisdom from the the law. For it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Verse 8, don't act immorally as some of them did. And he's going to use the law as a source of wisdom. 23,000 fell in one day. 
nor let us try the Lord as some of them did. And he's going to refer to the serpents biting them. Verse 10, don't grumble as some of them did and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now no verse 11. Now these things happened to them as a example. They were written for our instruction. Everybody see that? Okay. He's not saying keep the law, but he is saying the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law, it was written down as an example so that we don't follow that. See, that's wisdom, isn't it? And it was written for our instruction so that... We won't act like they acted as a New Testament believer. Everybody see that? And folks, I don't know of any other passage other than the next one I'm going to look at that is any clearer why we have the Old Testament written down for us. For an example, for our instruction. Everybody see that? Okay, so if I say, thou should not commit adultery, is that instructive? That is instructive. To have examples from my Old Testament that show that I should not divorce my wife, the wife of my youth, is that not instructive? It's being used as a source of wisdom, not as a source of commandment. Every... One of the Ten Commandments is repeated in my New Testament except one. And that is to keep the what? To keep the Sabbath day for it is holy. And Paul gives those commandments and in some cases uses illustration and uses quotation from the Old Testament to support it. Here's an example that we've already looked at. What's the commandment? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's the commandment. Illustrated. This was even true in the Old Testament. Honor your father and mother, because this is the first commandment with promise. He's using it as a source of wisdom. And he's using it as a source of illustration and instruction. Go back to the book of Romans, the last chapter in the book of Romans. Excuse me, Romans chapter 15, not 16. Romans chapter 15. He's just coming off of this about how we're to handle differences among brethren. And he's going to use a quotation here from the Old Testament. But look at Romans 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, that is, to his edification, because even who... Christ did not please Himself. Then He's going to quote something from the law, that is from the prophets, concerning Christ. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Verse 4. Now whatever was written in earlier times... Everybody see that? Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our what? Instruction. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. All right, now let's just look at this real briefly. Why were the things, whatever was written earlier, earlier than the New Testament, right? 
Whatever was written earlier was written for, we've already seen, for our example, for our illustration, for our source of wisdom, but it was also written for our instruction. Now folks, what is the instruction supposed to do in our spirit? It's supposed to build up inside of us perseverance and encouragement. Did you see that? Not, I failed another law. These things were written to instruct us not only in bad illustration, but good illustration. Christ Himself. So that when we see that passage, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, we know it's talking about Christ. We're under the law of Christ. We're looking to Him, right? And when we see how He did not please Himself, but He died for others so that they may be edified, built up toward God, Folks, isn't that encouraging? (laughs) Doesn't that help you endure in doing the very same thing? He's our master. He's our example. We have His Spirit inside of us. We are under the law of Christ or grace, right? For Him to do this in our lives. And so we're just looking at all these things. You have examples of admonition. You have instruction unto perseverance and encouragement. You also have it given as wisdom. Go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, verse 14, I want you to continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Now note verse 15. And that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings. What writings would that be? Folks, what writings would Timothy have been exposed to in his childhood? Old Testament. Old Testament. That through the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Everybody see that? Now note verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. Everybody see that? Folks, does the Old Testament have anything to teach us? It does. It's a source of wisdom for us. So that we don't do the same things that they did. So that when we read David saying something like this, I just desire to spend my whole life in your temple gazing at your beauty. Now folks, there is no temple on earth, is there? There's no way that I could do that. What is he what what am I to pick up from that? What is the wisdom that I can pick up from that? Well the wisdom is this I need to have a heart to just love to look at the beauty of Christ. <coughs> It's for teaching, for reproof. Could I use it for reproof? I could. For correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Folks, would it be okay for me to preach from the Old Testament? It would be okay. Not as a binding Mosaic law covenant for a believer, but as a source of wisdom and instruction for us in the New Testament. So, 
<clears throat> here we have this. All Scripture is for our wisdom. Wisdom in teaching, wisdom in reproof, wisdom in correction, wisdom in training. So Timothy preached the Word. And let me just look at, <clears throat> if you're taking notes, you can write down 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where Peter says concerning Paul, that according to the wisdom that God had given to Paul, the wisdom God had given to Paul, Paul was viewing that Old Testament rightly. He understood that usage. But let's turn to this. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> As we conclude. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is urging Timothy to <clears throat> be his representative and go back to the church at Ephesus. And there were people there who, verse 7, were wanting to be teachers of the, of the law. All right? And Paul says, this is fruitless. And he says in verse 7, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the manners about which they make confident assertions. So were they confident in what they were teaching? Now look at verse 8. We know that the law is it's good. If you use it lawfully. In other words, what Paul is saying is, is the law holy, good, and just? Amen and amen and amen. All right? But you must use the law for the intention that God designed the law. And remember what it was? It was to give us the knowledge of sin. It was to give us the it was to tutor us that we needed a savior, a righteousness that is apart from us, and to bring us to Christ. Verse 8 again. We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person. Now folks, some of us need to let that sink in. The law is not made for a righteous person. But it's made for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. What would he be using the law? Folks, if someone is out there and they say to you, I am a homosexual and I'm a Christian. Would it be appropriate for me to take them to the law? It would be appropriate. Not for them to keep it to be saved. Or even in this sense, for them to use it to restrain their sin. Because the problem isn't the restraint, the problem's who they are. They're sinful people. And if they would recognize that they're sinful people the law would take them where? To Christ. And they could be freed. So folks, it isn't that I use the law with someone who is practicing righteousness. Or a believer. He's listing people who are not believers. Folks, these things that he's listing are things we church discipline for. Of which the church says... We're recognizing that you are not a believer. We're to treat you as a publican. The law, <clears throat> maybe we could say it this way. Can we use the law in evangelism? Can we use the law to point out to someone that they're sinful? Yes. I think that's what he's saying. 
So he's using law as a source of wisdom. You lack wisdom. You don't even know that you're sinful. So how are you doing? How are you doing with the Ten Commandments? Well, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. Alright, let's take the first one. No, I'm not keeping that one. How about the second? No, I'm not keeping that one either. How about the third one after I explain? No, I'm not keeping that one either. The fourth? No. Well, you don't have a good track record. Fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. Is that one person said to me? Uh, I'm not keeping all of them. And folks, the more I went into the Ten Commandments, you could just feel a doom cloud coming down in the room. And it wasn't me that was being doom cloud. It was the unrighteous person who was coming to an understanding that they're sinful. Everybody see that? I'm using the law lawfully in that case. So folks, I think that's very helpful for us. That the New Testament usage of the law is as a source of wisdom. It can be used as illustration. It can be used as admonition. It can be used as encouragement. It can be used for instruction. But we are not under that Mosaic law as a covenant. We are under the new covenant, the law of who? The law of Christ. And in two weeks, we'll take a look at what that law is. And I just want to say publicly, and I know you do too, thank God for that. <laughs> thank God for that. Because remember, the law as a whole, you break it one, you broke, you broke them all. And let me just say this, brethren. Sometimes, even as believing people, we can get a little self-righteous. We can get a little cocky, a little prideful about how well we're doing. And the Lord in His mercy will show you how well you're not doing. And you will feel miserable. (laughs) And you will begin to wonder, is there any good in me at all? Answer, not in your flesh. The only good is what Christ has done in your soul. But sometimes we have to be taken down into that dark hole so that we can look up to see the light. And may God grant us this proper, I think, a good framework for understanding our relationship to the law in our New Testament. Let's pray together.